Forte Catholic. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, we are recording live to tape from the Red Sea Radio Studio in College Station, Texas. The lovely Jake Blazek is always joining me. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I just totally stole that opening from my favorite podcast, The Herd by Colin Cowherd. So that was completely stolen. What's up, Jake? Oh, not much. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. Do you like that I called you lovely? I think that's what I called you. I do. You do? Yes, thank you. So th- that's all the compliments you get today. So you're Dang done. All right. So today, I uh, we have a great show planned for you today. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about Pentecost. Uh, and speaking of sto- stolen things, I stole the intro. I'm stealing this content that I'm about to share with you from our good friend, Alyssa Trutter from Everyday Catholics, also right here on Red Sea Radio. So I'm just stealing this whole first segment. That doesn't sound very Christian. It's it's the it's the best, like Christians steal from each other all the time, right? So um, That's actually very true. All, all good youth ministry, like, you know, n- there's been no new new ideas in youth ministry in about 30 years. We just keep stealing ideas from everybody. So so uh, we're all stealing from Bob Rice over there up in, uh, up in Steubenville. That's how I'm making it through this, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep stealing ideas. Okay, so, um, so I'm stealing this, all this content. I was at a youth night last night with Alyssa Trutter. Uh, from Everyday Catholics, um, and she was talking about the church and the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for the church. So I'm going to talk about that first, then my good friend Matt R.S. Mendez from Tongues of Fire Youth Ministries and Young Adult Ministries now in San Antonio. It's the ministry that I did. Um, I probably spent 20 hours a week in ministry with them when I was in college in San Antonio and absolutely love them. And I love Matt. So I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about um, the ministry that they do, um, how the Holy Spirit plays a role in their ministry, and then also talk about one of the biggest things that has been an issue for him in ministry, and that's commitment. So um, we're going to be talking about that, and then we will wrap it up with our final segment of Mass Text. We will look at the text from Mass today, which, if you're listening live, is actually yesterday. It's Monday's Gospel reading from this week. So let's get right back to our stolen material, because that's how you know this is going to be good. So what Alyssa was saying, essentially, was that there were three things that people tend to think that the church is. That when you go to mass or you're just hanging out with your friends in youth group or whatever, that Catholicism is passive. That you just sit there, it kind of happens to you. When you're in mass, you kind of go through the motions and pray the prayers. You go th- go through all go through it all. You're not really engaged, but that this whole thing is very passive. The other thing that she said was that a lot of people think that the church is, is just in a building. So we go to church for an hour a day, an hour a week on Sundays or Saturdays if you uh, want to watch football on Sundays. So we we think of church and kind of compartmentalize church into just that one hour in that building with a bunch of our friends and maybe a few people you don't like if you're being honest. So I don't know why I had to say that. I guess I was thinking about those people. <laughs> so uh, the third thing that she said, she didn't say that. That that material, the bad material was not stolen. That was all mine. I will take complete responsibility for the bad part of this content. And then third is that faith or the church or mass is boring, right? You get that a lot from kids. I tell you what, I've told my story on this show before. 
I used to think mass was the most boring thing that had ever been created in the entire world. Um, you know, and going there and it added to my passivity where I just sat there, didn't care what was going on. I'm just going to sit there and like, you know, elbow my sister because that was uh, what made church not boring. Like even getting grounded, like at least it added some action to the mass and I got, and I got some, uh, I got some, uh, some attention in mass. So that's what the mass, a lot of people think the mass is. That's, that's what a lot of people think the church is. That's what a lot of like young Taylor thought the church was, right? And then she walked us through the story of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and how that changed everything, how that changed the apostles, how that changed the church, how it literally took those three things, the passivity, that the church is only in the building and that church is boring and completely flipped those things on their head. So we're going to look at this scripture right now in Acts chapter two, starting in the best place you can possibly start. Verse one, right at the beginning. So um, my favorite thing about this, when uh, people at the youth night were asking what verses we were going to, I said, uh, start in verse one and then end when they start talking about drunk people. You'll, you'll, you'll know it when you get there, right? So that's what we're going to do. So Acts chapter one says, when the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. So first of all, who are these people, right? They're, we're talking about the apostles. So Jesus, um, you know, just to kind of catch you up on the timeline, Jesus was born, and then 30 years later, he did ministry. He walked around and taught and healed people for three years, and then he died. Three days later, he rose again, came back, spent, spent time with his apostles, and then said, no, I'm really leaving this time, but I promise that I'm going to send you um, a helper. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, to be with you. And that day is called Pentecost, right? So the apostles were waiting for this to happen. And says, and so it continues in, in verse two. And suddenly there came from the sky a strong noise, like a strong driving wind. And it filled the entire house in which they were. So these guys are just chilling all together, right? Hanging out. And then a tornado comes essentially, right? The strong driving wind just comes in and takes over the room. In verse 3, it says, Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. So when I was a kid hearing this, I thought there were just like tongues, like, you know, like my tongue that I'm sitting here talking with. I thought it was just like a tongue from a mouth that was on fire, just floated above these people's heads, right? I'm like, that's super weird. Why did God do that? And then I realized there's another way to use tongues. It's just kind of like this little flame that appeared over their head. Tongues would have been cooler, but probably a little weirder, and it would have freaked people out. So um, I'm, that's why God's writing the scriptures and not me. And then in verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to acclaim, to proclaim. So they received the Holy Spirit and immediately they are given the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in different tongues to where it says in verse five, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem at this sound, the sound of the wind. So it wasn't just the apostles being crazy. Like there really was this big sound like this really happened. The Holy Spirit really did come where the people all around heard it and started coming towards them. It says at this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. 
So imagine you're in this big crowd at like the United Nations or you're, you know, traveling in New York City or somewhere where there's all these different um, array of people from every different race and tongue and and uh, country and all these different things. Right. And one guy starts speaking and everyone can understand him. It's like mind blown. Right. That's what's happening here. And this is like people start wondering, okay, what is happening here, right? This is not normal. And we've been, you know, us who have been listening to the beginning of the story know that this is the power of God being given to the apostles to take them from a place of passivity where they were just sitting, a place in a building where they were all waiting, and a place where I could imagine they were pretty bored, right? Jesus told them to sit there and wait, right? So you just twiddle, twiddle your thumbs. You can't sit there on your, on your cell phone and play games like I do when I'm waiting because it was 2,000 years ago and cell phones were created, I don't know, a little sooner than then <laughs> to now than then, right? So the power of God came to change those things that, we, that, that were going on in the apostles that we see a lot in the church now. It says that the people, upon hearing them speak, were astounded and in amazement. And they asked, are not all these people speaking Galileans? Then how does each of us hear them in our own native tongue? We're Parthians, Medes, Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia. That's where Phrygias were invented. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the district of Libya near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome. We're both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Yet... No matter we're from all these places, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of, this is the most important part, of the mighty acts of God. So these apostles who, like we know from the gospels, they're not the brightest group of people, which is probably adding to the amazement of these, like when did these idiots learn all these languages, right? And that's, I think that's kind of the point is that the apostles could not do this on their own power. They could not proclaim the mighty acts of God to all these people that I just listed without the power of God. They were just simple fishermen, simple tax collectors who just received this great gift of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that they wanted to do was to share the mighty acts of God with people they did not have that ability to do before. And, I, and I, I listen to this and I'm saying, man, like most people around me understand me. Every now and then I encounter some people who only speak Spanish and there's a little language barrier there, right? But for the most part, if you're listening to me right now, you probably understand English. It'd be very odd for you to continue listening to this station unless you're trying to learn English from me. Um, and if you are, I would say change the dialogue. I think that's Spanish for change the dial. So they were, in verse 12, it says, they were all astounded and bewildered and said to one another, what does this mean? And I think that's the question for us, what, right? What does this mean for us? What does this story mean for you and me? And I think what it really means for you and me is two things. Number one, we don't trust, truly trust in the real power of the Holy Spirit. The real power of God. I've been confirmed. A lot of you listening have been confirmed. If you haven't been, you're probably going to be here in the next couple of years 
or you've been baptized where you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? We have this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't running out of power because it's been working for thousands of years. It's not weaker now than it was 2,000 years ago whenever this story happened where people were immediately hearing them in all these different tongues. That Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that is alive and well in you. God always works with people who are willing to work with him. Sometimes he even works with people who aren't willing, like Jonah, right? God was like, hey, go, uh, go save that city. And Jonah said, no. And then he got swallowed by a fish. So that, that's the, if you get nothing else out of this lesson today, it's that if you disagree with God, you'll probably get eaten by a fish. So, um, but back on point, Taylor, we're not talking about fish when we're talking about fire because that would just make me hungry. So the favorite verse, and um, whenever you heard me say the word drunk earlier, you're like, what is he talking about, right? The final verse of this, it says that, but others scoffing. So they were people hearing what the apostles were doing, speaking in different tongues, like this miracle happening right in front of them, and they scoff at them. And this is what they say. Ah, they have had too much new wine. Essentially, they're saying these guys are drunk, which doesn't make sense, right? If they were drunk, like, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that's drunk, they don't automatically learn new languages. That, that's not a thing. Um, if anything, the people that were scoffing were drunk because they were hearing everything that they were saying in their own language, right? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But that's how a lot of people react to seeing the power of God. They've made a decision of I'm not, God's not power. God can't do miracles. And this is outside the church and it's in the church too. It's like, what is this power of God that can change lives that can take these apostles from sitting in a building, passive, scared, probably bored out of their minds into the opposite of this into being radical. It turns them from being cowards into courageous. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in this story. It's making them these radical, where they're walking out and they're proclaiming the mighty acts of God, no matter what anybody else says. The apostles, they ended up going to the ends of the known world. They went, to, they went to Spain. The guy who was known as Doubting Thomas, he ended up going the furthest away to spread the faith. He went all the way to India and died there because of, after years of sharing the faith. And it's so interesting. All these guys who were cowardly and ran away whenever Jesus was being crucified, except one, John. John stayed by his side. All of them were martyred except John. And as Alyssa said this last night, I was like, this is blowing my mind. Because Jesus gives all of us the chance to say, are you with me? John said, John said it. He had already proved his love for God. He stayed by his side in his weakest moment. So God, with the other apostles, allowed them to say, are you, to answer the question of, are you with me? 
and they said yes with their with how they lived their lives and then ultimately how with how they gave their life. Yes, I'm all in it for you, God. And then they moved out from being just in a building to being transformational. It transformed their entire existence. They went from simple fishermen who were followers of this, of this teacher named Jesus, this miracle worker named Jesus, and then they were sent out into the world to change literally the course of history. And then they went from, be, from boring to having this amazing passion and zeal. They were set ablaze with love, not only for God, but love for the rest of the world because they were willing to risk their lives, literally, for people to hear this message of Jesus Christ and how much he loves each and every one of us, right? So as we, as we continue this night, what I want you to keep in mind is that these, what the Holy Spirit does is it takes you, if you're feeling this passivity in your faith, if you're feeling that a church is just a part of my life, compartmentalized on, on Sundays, or maybe I pray before meals, but the rest of my life is kind of separate from my faith, is that ask the Holy Spirit to come and be with you, to change you to, to, from passivity to being this radical love for God. To change your idea that, that the church is just a building and, and other people and those group of holy people you see that you think are holy on Sundays, to transform your entire life and then to go from this mass is boring to being passionate and in love with Jesus who is present in the mass. So we'll be right back with my good friend, Matt Aris Mendez, right after the break. Welcome back to Forte Catholic, recording in the Red Sea Radio Studios in College Station, Texas. I've got one of my good friends and mentors on the line, Mr. Matt Aris Mendez. Matt, how you doing this evening? I am doing great. How are you doing? Uh, dude, I'm living the dream, man. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on the air. So um, where are you right now? Literally, I'm in my room. No, but I'm in San Antonio. <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> the same dress clothes I always wear. There you go. Uh, that's that's the good Catholic Catholic radio answer. So, um, I was I was uh, I wanted to get you on, cut man. I actually learned a lot from ministry from from you. Um, going through your ministry called Tongues of Fire, we were ju- we just finished uh, last segment talking about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, and we we talked about what Tongues right. of Fire are. So uh, we know what they are in Scripture, but what is the Tongues of Fire ministry that you started over there? So Tongues of Fire ministry is a, a ministry that we started at St. Paul's Catholic Church here in San Antonio. It started off as a small group of youth who just wanted to get together and learn more about God, read their Bibles, do some prayer, some praise and worship. And this, just over time, it started to grow. And uh, we started to get a music ministry, eventually grew into a young adult ministry. And um, that's pretty much where we're at today. We have youth, young adults, music ministry, and uh, we kind of get together and um, just try and seek God together, grow together, and also help others grow together, uh, grow into Christ together uh, by doing different events. 
Yeah, no, it's great. And, and like one of the one of the great things that I loved about Tongues of Fire was that it wasn't just youth ministry. You were also like training leaders for the future, you know, and I was a part of that. I was I'm, I'm very familiar with the Tongues of Fire music ministry as I was uh, leading that for about three years or so when I was in college. And, and uh, actually the music, no the music that um, everybody just heard uh, that brings us in and out of the breaks. How did you know that song, Matt? <laughs> Once upon a time, uh, Taylor and I were, uh, we got together and we, we wrote a song together. I had a group of friends that were laying out some music. I wrote some lyrics, um, helped arrange some vocals. And then we brought Taylor in with the big, the big voice there. And he came in and he, uh, laced the song pretty nicely. So that's how that song came to be. Yeah. He's being real humble. He wrote the song. Like he, he pretty much did the whole thing. All I had to do is come in and sing it. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's a great song called illusion. You can check it out on my YouTube channel, but, um, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you and what you got going on. So, Hey, you got a, you got a kid there in the background. How many kids do you have? <laughs> yeah. You might actually get those random interruptions from time to time, but I have two and one on the way. So, uh, three in total. That, that's awesome, man! Congratulations on the on the on the third one. The the, the first two I've I've met, they're all right, but I'm really excited for the third one for you. <laughs> third time's the charm. <laughs> so right, definitely. So with tongues of fire, like what you know, you kind of told us in general what what we do. Like if I was going to come to a tongues of fire youth group, what what would I be getting? What would I experience? Well, you're gonna see us. First of all, we always start and end everything with prayer, but we also do some other things, including prayer, um, as well as like praying for people, healing prayer, stuff like that. Uh, we do a lot of music, a lot of praise and worship. Um, we uh, dive into scripture, spend a lot of time just going through different scripture passages, trying to apply them to our lives. And then we also spend some time just discussing um, how the scripture um, is relevant uh, to us now and uh, how we feel the Lord speaking to us through those scriptures. Yeah, so with a name like Tongues of Fire, um, what is the Holy Spirit's role within y'all's ministry? How do y'all view the Holy Spirit? Well, I mean, uh, we pretty much see the Holy Spirit as being, you know, as as he should be, real and alive in our daily lives. Um, and so we try and incorporate him into everything that we do and just see how the Holy Spirit is, is a vital part of our faith and uh, not just some crazy random spirit that's out there freaking people out. A lot of times just people get it twisted, but um, we just really try and uh, invoke the Holy Spirit in everything we do and uh, include him um, in every part of our worship, our prayer, and um, also in our regular daily lives. Yeah, no, that's great. And I know that we were talking before you came on the air about what we we're going to talk about today. And you said that there's one topic in your ministry that has just been on your mind. You've seen it in your ministry. You've seen it in your life. You've seen it in, in kind of all over the place. And I was like, man, that's the topic that we need to be talking about tonight. And that topic is commitment. Right. So um, right. why is that such a big focus for you in your life right now? Well, uh, one of the big things that we noticed was that there's a lot of people um, who tend to have um, issues when it comes to commitment, not only um, in their personal lives, with significant others, with friendships, with families, but also in their spiritual life. And we see a lot of people who just um, will be on fire one moment and then they fall out and then they try and recommit and then they fall out again and then things go good for a while and then they kind of hit a drought. 
and how there's different seasons, of course, to everybody's spiritual life. But at the same time, uh, there's an important aspect of needing to commit our lives to Christ and making a, a firm decision and moving forth in that. And so a lot of times we just kind of see that issue come up, whether it's youth, young adults or adults, and um, how relevant of a topic that can be. Yeah, so what do you think are some of the things that are holding people back from from commitment these days? Because I tell you what, I was so excited for you to to come on and talk about this because working in ministry, like people just don't want to commit to anything anymore, right? So why? Yeah. What are what are some of the things some of the things that are holding people back from commitment these days? You know, I think a lot of it is the attitude that people have. It's the attitude in modern day society where. Um, try something out. If it works for you, if you like it, if it draws you in for a while, cool. But as soon as you get tired or bored with it, or you, you kind of hit a little difficult um, part in the journey, then you just kick it to the side. And I think a lot of times people approach their spirituality in the same way. They're like, you know what? Um, this is kind of not the most exciting thing for me right now. So I think I'm going to just put it on the back burner and focus on something else because this is really stimulating me right now. But we notice like, it's not always like that in our spiritual lives. Like it's not always going to be the most exciting, the most fun filled thing, but other times uh, it is. So uh, we just really need to uh, be able to be firm in our faith, be rooted and commit ourselves to Christ and he'll take us through the ins and outs of everything that we do. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you're a married guy, right? Yes, sir. How long have you been married? Five years. Oh, congratulations. Oh, uh, so what Thanks. what do you think your wife, your lovely wife, would say if you were like if you walked up to her and said, Ah, eh, I'm kinda bored with you right now. I'll try again in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we probably still wouldn't be married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, That's the weakest commitment ever. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> You'd still be at yeah, two kids. Be too happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, she wouldn't be too happy about that. And I think that really highlights the point that we're trying to make is that, uh, you know, for the major commitments and, and covenant type relationships that we have, um, like marriage, uh, there's no, I think I'm in it today and I'm not in it tomorrow. You got to make a firm commitment staying in it no matter what. And uh, definitely something that we should uh, take note on and incorporate into our, our, our daily faith. Right. So I'm, I, I love talking about complacency and that, that, that topic kind of fits in with this commitment one as well. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, like I make this commitment where I'm going to be the best Catholic I can be and then complacency sets in. Right. So what are the, some of the things that right. you've seen either in your life or in your ministry that have helped people who maybe don't have the commitment to their discipleship that they want to kind of get over that hump? You know, we, we just recently kind of covered a little uh, segment in one of our uh, Bible studies in regards to that. And uh, we were reading in, in, in Timothy where Paul is writing to Timothy and he tells him, stir into flame the gift of God that has been given to you. So it's like when we stir into flame that gift of God that kind of keeps us going when things are not always already on fire. And the things that he listed in there a couple of verses after was talking about, do not be ashamed of your testimony. But, and so it makes me think about like, well, we need to share our story. We need to um, evangelize. So the more that we are active in ministry and service, 
the more that can kind of keep us going if we're just a member of a group. If you're just a member, sometimes you can participate and sometimes you don't, and then you don't always uh, stay fully involved in the, the heart of what we're believing. But if you're actually active in a day in and day out, it gives you a purpose and in continuing the ministry because you realize it's not about just you and your own personal spirituality, but it's about being there for others. And so that's one thing um, that we definitely touched on. And the other thing is just to be able to be there for each other. I mean, um, when we realize that it's a communal aspect um, and that we're here, we're trying to work together, we're trying to serve together through good times and in bad, the second part of the thing that Paul was talking about in that letter was we got to suffer together. And so when we go through tough times, sometimes it's like, hey, it's okay. It's okay that we're going through a tough time. Someone else is going to be there to help carry you along. Know that Christ is here. He goes through it with us. And we can continue to push on no matter what. We just got to be committed to it. And we got to keep stirring into flame that gift that God's given us. So what are the benefits of being more committed? So if you're trying to convince somebody that, they should have more commitment either in their relationships with each other or the relationships with God. What what do they get out of it, essentially? Well, one thing I've noticed is stability. And it sounds funny because you're thinking like committing to something and things change, your circumstances change, your emotions change. How do you get stability out of commitment? But uh, you actually get a lot of stability out of it because the direction is always forward. The direction is always towards God. The direction is always in a steady progression um, that you're feeling God's leading you to. So if we can continue to stay in that direction, if we can continue to stay focused on that, then all of a sudden it's a game changer despite all the turbulence in our lives, we're able to kind of push forward through it. So uh, that's probably one of the main things that I've noticed out of it. And not only that, but you also see the favor of God upon us. Like it's, it, it's a hard thing to, to measure for sure. But at the same time, you start to realize that if you stay committed to God, um, that you realize like how much more that he's present through not just the good times, but the bad times as well. So it's definitely recognizing that and seeing that. And uh, definitely one of the biggest benefits that you'll see by committing your life to Christ. Yeah, so I know a lot of people, you know, commit their lives to Christ, and then they kind of get complacent and back off a little bit, and then this whole good old um, thing we all carry on our backs, this Catholic guilt, kind of sets in. Like, oh, I was committed, and that, and then I wasn't committed, so I should just give up, right? Or like, so right. you you mentioned covenants earlier, so I want you to talk a little bit about even though we break our commitments, God has this covenantal relationship with us. So what what do you what does that mean to you? the difference between a commitment and, and the covenant and the, the differences and similarities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I can give a, a really good example about that. So that way it can kind of tie it all, all tie it all together. But um, a great example is King David. Uh, David was one that, that had this really deep, profound relationship with the Lord. He um, obviously had the favor of God upon him, so many blessings upon him. And he kind of rose to power just by being a, a shepherd boy to eventually being this powerful king with a lot of the, uh, the blessings that God had given him. But even still during that process, uh, King David was, was flawed. And uh, those flaws we've seen in more than one occasion, but one of the, the grand occasions with him, with him having an affair with uh, Bathsheba. And so 
this this mighty awesome king and man of God is able to fall and he has this major blunder but even still in that in that time and in that process he was still be able to go through this period of repentance and uh you know we really see that highlighted in Psalm 51 where it's like create in me a clean heart oh god like that's just like a very powerful verse where we can actually see um, that emotion, that that uh, period of repentance and coming back into the presence of God. And so although King David may have broke his side of the commitment, the Lord was still there, and that covenant hadn't been broken. So actually what ended up happening is David renews his covenant to the Lord, but the the covenant that the Lord had established with him was still there. And so he was able to come back into the, the good graces of God, and he was able to repent of his sin and and get back to where he needed to be. So that's really highlights the difference between uh, that covenant, the commitment. We can commit to something and sometimes we fall and we make mistakes and we're not perfect with it. Um, but the covenant and that relationship that we have with God is something that's um, is very much reflects like a marriage. It's it's through sickness and health. It's through uh, you know being rich or poor. It's it's through all of that. So. Um, it's definitely something that we want to strive for, and it's something that's already there. That's something that we can stand on because it's that certain. It's that uh, solid of a foundation. So it goes a whole lot more than just commitment, but um, it does require a certain element for us to commit to. Yeah, that's that's so great. I've seen that a lot of times in my in my own spiritual life. You know, I don't pray for a day or a week at times, and then I. Like right when I come back, you know, let's say I was reading a Bible, like, you know, a Bible plan or something, and then I drop off and then the day I come back, it's like exactly what I needed to hear. Right. So even though I didn't right. fulfill my end of the bargain, like God's still there with me. He was still there waiting for me the whole time. He, you know, it wasn't, right. it's not some reading about judgment and how I'm going to go to hell. Right. He's there to love me right, right when I return. So, um, one of the things, too, that, I, that is so important about commitment is, like, if I commit, the, you know, you committed to come onto this radio show. If all of a sudden you just canceled right. last minute, like, you know, that puts me in a tough position, right? So what, a, right. what have you seen in this last minute or so that we have here, the importance of commitment to each other, the importance of commitment uh, among friends? Well, you know, um, one, one thing that always comes up to my mind is that there are certain relationships, there's certain things that are worth fighting for. And uh, like a perfect example of that, that, that we can see is us as parents, we know that, hey, it's worth to kind of put into the struggle of, of raising children as parents, because we know that there's a lot that goes into it. It's not always easy. It can be frustrating, but it's worth it to go ahead and go through it and commit to be there for your kids, no matter if it's uh, frustrating or not. Um, same thing for um, some of the other important relationships we have, such as uh, our, our significant others, of course, in the context of marriage especially, and then uh, for family members that sometimes we go through ups and downs of family and we want to um, really stay committed to uh, the foundation of love that we already have um, established with each other. So um, it's, it's really important for us to see that um, the type of relationship, the type of commitment, and even to a certain extent, uh, a level of, of covenant that we have with God should be reflected in the relationships we have around us as well. 
Well, thanks, Matt, for coming on, for bringing your encouragement, for bringing all the things that God has revealed to you about commitment. If you guys want to find Matt, he is on Facebook. His last name is A-R-I-S-M-E-N-D-E-Z. Matt, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, God bless. Forte Catholic, our final segment of the evening. We've had some fun today. A spitfire about the Holy Spirit, Tongues of Fire, about Pentecost in the first segment. We talked to the leader of Tongues of Fire Ministry, Mr. Matt Aris Mendez, in the last segment. That was a lot of fun. If you missed any part of the show, or if you missed last week, or if you missed any one of the shows since we started in October, you can always check out the show on ForteCatholic.com. That's F-O-R-T-E, Catholic.com. Um, you can check out the radio show, how to listen online um, if you're out of town, and then also how to listen to all of the shows on podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Get them right there on your phone or your pager. I don't think it works on pagers, but you can get it on your phone, your iPad, all your computer, um, all of that stuff. So as promised, I want to do one of our favorite segments that I keep saying I'm going to do a, a cool little intro for with some music called mass text um so um jake why don't you go ahead and play the mass text oh that's right we don't have an intro so here we go we're going to mass text so if you've never heard the show before what this is is we look at the text from mass today so right you get it it's the text from mass this morning but it's also a mass text like if i'm going to send a mass text to people it's a text that i'm going to send to everybody that i can right So that's essentially what the scripture is, right? It's God's mass text to all of us so that we can know what he wants us to know. So today, I'm I'm, uh, recording early. So this is Monday, uh, January 30th of 2017, right? That's what year we're in? Okay, cool. Thanks, Jake, our our healthy producer, uh, helping me out when I don't know what year it is. That's what we have him here for. Uh, So the, the gospel reading for today is Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. So if you want to pull it out on your phone, on the, the I use the YouVersion Bible app on my phone to, to read these um, throughout the week. If you like paper, um, because you're older than 85 years old, I'm just kidding, that's my little making fun of you. I, I love making fun of my listeners. It helps me, <laughs> it helps me out tremendously um, because uh, then it makes you not like me and give me bad reviews on iTunes. So if you want to give me a bad review on iTunes, sorry, it's broken. But if you want to give me a good review on iTunes, you can do that in the iTunes store. Just search for Forte Catholic. Anyway, I digress. So the reason I wanted to do this segment today is that I've talked before a lot about how there's a perfect scripture for like uh, like today's scripture. It was perfect for me to hear this scripture today, right? Um, you know, which is, is crazy and ironic or a God moment or whatever you want to call it. Because when the bishops, these, uh, you know, leaders with pointy hats decided many, many years ago, they all got together and they decided what mass readings we were going to read on every day. So it's not like, you know, the 
priest today at mass looked out at me and said, oh, Taylor looks like he needs to hear um, uh, Matthew. No, no, no. Luke. No, no. He needs to hear Mark chapter five. No, these are bishops and pointy hats hundreds of years ago deciding that you know, all of the Catholic Church across the world in every uh, country, in every language is going to read from Mark chapter five, verse one through 20. And that's right. I did say one through 20. So uh, dig in because we're going to get right into this. Right. But here's the reason why it was such a big deal for us is we had a crazy, crazy weekend um, in ministry. Personally, we read this with our staff today and literally everybody had like, yep, this is the perfect reading for today. So you don't know what I'm talking about yet because we haven't started reading it. So let's just start reading it and then and then we'll get into a good conversation about it. So it starts off, it says, Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the territory of the Gerasenes. And what I said earlier is if you never know how to pronounce something in the Bible, just say it with confidence and everybody would be like, oh, that's how you say that. So there you go. That was my attempt of doing that. It says, when he, Jesus, got out of the boat, at once a man from the tombs who had an unclean spirit met him. So that's an odd way to meet somebody, right? You get off the boat, and right when you get off the boat, there's a man coming from outside of an area with tombs in it and comes and meets you, right? So that's what, that's what Jesus had to deal with. So if you thought your day was going bad, um, did a man coming out of tombs come to greet you when you, when you got out of your car today? Nope. So when the man had been dwelling among the tombs and no one could restrain him for any longer, even with a chain. In fact, he had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles were smashed. I think this is a, um, this is a plug for Joe Jonas and his hit song chains because they just said chains in the scripture four times in like two sentences. I didn't even know you could do that. So essentially like nobody was strong enough to hold this guy down. So he was possessed by demons. They, they chained him up. They tied him down and nothing worked. And the, he just kept ripping out of all of these things. So people were scared of this guy, right? It's night and day among the, t- uh, uh, among the tombs and hillside, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. So people had tried to restrain this guy, tried to help him out. And then they got so scared of him and like kind of gave up because he was so strong that they just left him to roam around the countryside, the tombs, right? And he was hurting himself. So he was in a situation that he wasn't hurting others anymore. He was just hurting himself. So um, he caught sight of Jesus from a distance. He ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, What have you done with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. He, uh, Jesus had been saying, unclean spirit, come out of the man. So this is interesting because if you know, like if there's all these levels of, of possession, right? So it, when you and I sin, if I, you know, if I steal a pen or if I say a cuss word, it's going to be a little bit easier for me next time to steal another pen or to say another cuss word, right? That's kind of the first, the first uh, level of possession. The second one is I, is I, um, now I like stealing pens and I just do it for fun, right? I'm just, I just, I still have, um, my free will. I'm still able to do that, but I'm starting to get a little addicted to it, right? I'm addicted now to cussing or I'm addicted to stealing pens and I can't get enough of it, right? I still have my free will, but it's, it's really hard. And then I just get to full, full blown, full on addiction 
we're like, I'm not even making decisions for myself anymore, right? We kind of cross into that threshold. And like, even though we still have our free will, we've had our free will this whole time, by our sin, we've opened ourselves up for evil to, to, take, to take, a hold, uh, take a hold within our soul, take a hold within our life. And then full-on possession is when, like, people don't even have control over themselves, right? So, like, you hear of, of exorcisms, like, that's these types of situations where people literally can't control themselves. That's where this guy is. We know that he can't control himself. He's hurting himself, right? So it's interesting because it says in the text that this man comes and prostrates himself. But who is really prostrating himself before God? Who has control of this man's body? It's the demons, right? So Jesus, Jesus asked the demon, he says, what is your name? And the demon replied, Legion is my name, for there are many of us. And he pleaded earnestly with him not to drive him away from that territory. So this just gets really interesting, right? Where Jesus, as the king of the world, a couple of chapters earlier, he has said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So like from the first sin, way back in Adam and Eve, sin entered the world and started taking taking its hold within the world. Sin has been in the world from the from the beginning, right? From that first sin of Adam and Eve. And God always promised like I'm going to send somebody to, to fix this. And he finally does. And what's interesting is that you would think that like when you, we always say that when Jesus defeated Satan when he rose again from the dead, right? Satan thought that the best thing would be to kill Jesus, to kill the, you know, when God became human, the best thing to do would be able to kill that guy. It's like, oh, he thought he won. But then he rose, defeated, defeated death, defeated sin, defeated evil right then, right? But what's interesting is we miss this part at the beginning. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God's here already. So Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, is already starting to show the world and the demons know it, that Jesus has taken over. He's, he's encroaching now on the turf of evil, encroaching now on the turf of these demons. And they're scared of him. They come trembling before him. They lay themselves down and they start to plead with him. Don't drive us away from this territory. So what does Jesus do? This is my favorite part of the story. Now there was a large herd of swine that was feeding here on the hillside. And, they, and the and legion pleaded with him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. And he let them. And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the swine. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank into the sea where they were drowned. So just picture yourself at this, at this scene, right? There's this super intense scene where this, this man possessed by demons is at the feet of Jesus. The, the demon and Jesus are talking. And then all of a sudden there are pigs jumping off cliffs. It's like, well, oh, that story took a very odd turn, right? Like that's not where I saw this story going. It's not really where the people who owned these pigs saw the story going either. So these swine herds, the people who owned the pigs, were not very happy, obviously, that they lost, you know, their entire livelihood, right? So they ran away. They reported the incident in town and throughout the countryside. And people came out to see what had happened. So the, the people who had just, who owned these pigs, who were now super frustrated, went and essentially tattletailed. They told the whole town. Everybody came to see what happened. So all these crowds come to Jesus. And as they approached him, 
Um, they caught sight of the man who had been possessed by Legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. So you can imagine that if they, they're mentioned, Mark's mentioning now that he's clothed, he wasn't clothed this whole story, right? So they can obviously tell that this man has changed. He's not in chains anymore, He's, um, which is apparently not Joe Jonas, but Nick Jonas. I was corrected by that uh, on that in the, uh, in the studio here by uh, someone I've never met. Uh, so uh, <laughs> si- they see this man sitting there, completely healed, completely free, completely unchained, and all they want to do is to figure out what happened, and this is what they do. They get mad at Jesus, and they ask him to leave. So they just saw this man healed. They saw the power of God come. Like Jesus came to visit them, got off the boat, healed this man who had been roaming around the countryside, hurting himself, hurting others, completely helpless. They see him healed. And then right after he heals this guy, people are like, yeah, Jesus, can you leave? (laughs) And it's just sad, right? Because I think a lot of times, like I, I work with young people. I see young people have this amazing uh, encounter with God. And then all of a sudden that you know, something happens and they, they ask Jesus to leave. Whether it's actually like trying to denounce God or if it's just a gradual drifting away, right? But there's, there's hope in this story. There really is. Because it's, it's just this really interesting dichotomy of, of how people react to Jesus and how people react to his amazing power and his amazing healing. A lot of people want him to leave. They're not ready for it. They don't get it. They're reacting a lot like they did around uh, at Pentecost that we talked about in the first segment, where they're afraid when they see the mighty acts of God being shown. But here's the other reaction. The man who was possessed pleaded to remain with Jesus. He wanted to stay with Jesus. And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't say no or he does I mean, sorry, Jesus doesn't say, yes, you can come with me, get away from these crazy people who want me to leave, even though I just healed you. He says, no, go back to your family and announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Then the man went off and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is essentially the town square, this big city, what Jesus had done for him. And all were amazed, right? So this man was healed wanted to go and, and be with be next to Jesus. But Jesus said, you've already encountered my mercy. You've already encountered my healing. Now go tell people about it, right? And that's where I want to tie these two stories together. The Pentecost story we did about 30 minutes ago and this story is how the Holy Spirit empowers us to share our faith, to share the mighty acts of God and to share, like this man did, what the Lord in his pity did for him. And I think a lot of times people get discouraged about sharing their faith because they feel like they don't have enough theological information. Oh, I can't, you know, te- I can't read the uh, catechism verbatim. I can't uh, share that with people, so I can't share my faith. But what does he ask them to do? He says, share the mighty acts of God. So he asked that of the apostles in the, in the Pentecost story to share the mighty acts of God. What has God done in their life? What They've been walking with Jesus for three years what have you seen? Essentially, it's me asking you, saying like, hey, what have you been up to the last three years, right? You can, it's pretty easy for you to pick some big stories in there and to talk about. And that's, the, that's essentially what God is asking of, of the apostles on how to share their faith. Just talk about what you saw. Talk about what you experienced. Talk about what you felt. 
So God's asking us to do the same thing. You don't have to know, you know, the, the great deal t- details of St. Thomas Aquinas' theology. How has God manifested himself in your life? Where was a time where God showed you pity and healed you as, as he did for this man in this second story? So I want to encourage you today to, to ask the Holy Spirit to be with you, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you in sharing, the, in sharing your faith with those around you. Not in some uh, big, uh, necessarily apologetics way or some deep theological debate, but how, is, how, how do you experience God in your daily life? Because when this man did this and just simply shared what God did for him, the mercy he showed on him, the pity that he had on him, people were amazed at it. And the reason I said that why this story was so important for us this weekend um, to read today after this weekend is we had a rough weekend. We had a lot, a lot of a lot of kids that were in some situations where they were um, hurting themselves, whether it was you know through through alcohol or through drugs or or through whatever. We just had a tough weekend in ministry, and 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 I'm I'm sitting here reading this this morning. I'm like, man, a lot of our kids like are in putting themselves in these shackles and these chains, and and just can't get out of it, right? And a lot of times that's true. They're kids; they can't get out of the situation themselves. They need help. From their parents, they need help from the people in their lives, their, their youth ministers, the people like that God has ordained to be there to help them. But they need the help of God too. Because the apostles aren't the ones who cast out this demon. It was Jesus who did ultimately. It was the power of Jesus that the, that, that the demons trembled at. So no matter what these kids this weekend are dealing with, no matter what you're dealing with, God is wanting to just show his power in your life. So I, um, I'm praying for you this week. Uh, pray for me this week. It's going to be a crazy one. So uh, we will be back next week on Forte Catholic. It has been so much fun to be here with you tonight. Please like, comment, share on iTunes. I would appreciate it. It's been fun. See you.